Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. Ah, Mr. Corumbus is off. You've got me, Chad Benson, all week long. Jim Garrity is here with us, and as you know, you get three. Not one, not two, but three martinis. And we're going to start with good news, potentially great news. Uh, Jim, about that thing they call a vaccine and us getting back to a normal way of life. Tell us, we've got some news on the horizon that's great. Yeah, it's a very lengthy essay by uh, longtime New York Times reporter Donald G. McField Jr., who's been on the pandemics and epidemics beat for the times going back to the days of Ebola and, and such. And he lay, it's a very lengthy piece, and he lays out a compelling and I would say a very realistic case for optimism in our fight against the coronavirus uh, quote, events have moved faster than I thought. Actually, good with no, worth noting, he describes himself as a consistently gloomy Cassandra, reporting on the catastrophe that experts saw coming, that the virus was going to go pandemic, that Americans were going to die in large numbers, the national lockdown was going to last well beyond Easter and past summer, and no, mir- no miracle cure was on the horizon. Uh, he now writes that events have moved faster than I thought possible. I have become cautiously optimistic. Experts are saying with genuine confidence that the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected, possibly by the middle of next year. And for those who are, you know, saying, ah, well, you know, once Biden's elected, they'll say it went away. No, it's, that's not the factor he's saying. He points out that Operation Warp Speed, which is what the administration's effort to subsidize vaccine companies, clinical trials and manufacturing costs in an effort to get a vaccine to the American public as fast as possible. He says it's working with remarkable efficiency. It has put more than 11 billion to seven vaccine candidates, and the FDA said it will approve any of them that are going to that are at least 50 percent effective. And obviously, you're hoping they're much more effective. Um, Operation Warp Speed is now thinking that they have a you know there some of the candidates will work 75 to 90 percent of the time, and he thinks two will win approval by early January. And for those of you maybe leaning forward in your thing, you know that means that you know uh, probably by Early January, the factories that are already on, under contract and are already producing things will have enough vaccine for 30 to 40 million people. And as you suddenly start leaning forward, like, oh, that's, well, that's a great start, but we still have 330 million Americans. He then thinks once everybody gets the, the, you know, set, their factories set up to produce it, they'll be able to produce 80 to 90 million more doses each month. So you add that up, you look at it late spring, early summer of next year, this pandemic could be over. And, and that is about as good news as we possibly could hope. It was kind of the rough uh, timeline people were expecting slash hoping for. Um, now it's worth noting that uh, there was a setback in the, uh, uh, the trial put forth by Johnson & Johnson. You may recall they had a similar bump in the road in uh, the Oxford vaccine. They figured out that that person who has gotten sick in the trial was not getting sick because of the vaccine, and they resumed it. And things are moving forward on that front. Now, you know, um, this is, you know, for those of you who are tired of this, who are tired of social distancing, tired of being told to wear masks, tired of not being able to go to full capacity football games and not wanting to watch NBA games in a bubble and wanting to go to the movies and get on planes and all that stuff. The, the end is in sight. We're not there yet, but it is in sight. We are, you know, just one more slog. And we should be okay with this by the beginning of this year. And we can leave this awful year of 2020 behind us. Absolutely. And like you said, he's a, uh, he's, 
He's more Debbie Downer. I mean, he's kind of the realist that there's no positivity that comes out of him. He's just going to give it to you straight without the rah-rah. And uh, if you've got somebody who is very real about something like that and kind of blunt that, hey, everything's bad, kind of like Eeyore, and saying, hey, that you know what? Uh, they surprised me. We're actually going to get out of this thing a little bit quicker. That's a That's a win. Indeed, it may, may uh, if this all comes to pass. By the way, let's also point out that, uh, and again, I'm, 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 I don't, you don't want to. Maybe that's a sense of you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. But if this comes to pass, as he writes, you know, you can love the Trump administration for the tax cuts. You can love them for defense buildup, Supreme Court, you know, stuff. But I, I think going from effectively zero to a functional vaccine in one year will be the Trump administration's greatest accomplishment. Operation Warp Speed will be what they talk about in the history books when a whole bunch of stuff has been forgotten. And I think it's really significant. And I think it, uh, if the Trump administration, if Trump is worried about his re-election bid, maybe you want to talk about Operation Warp Speed and you don't need to do a lot of superlatives and, and wild rhetoric about it. Just bring out and have them give updates. And I think that would be make a lot of Americans feel much more confident about the future. Yeah, but the history books will be written by a lot of other people on the left, and they'll say, Biden did it single-handedly when he got in there, Jim. You know that. Come on now. All right, we go from the good to the bad. Uh, court packing. And, you know, they're, they're, there's different ways you court pack now. Even if you have nine, you court pack it with the people that you want to put in there. So that's automatically bad. But it's not like it's not the first time. 1860s was the last time we maneuvered, uh, you know, a different number, and that became the nine. But before they thought about court packing, and even when the Democrats had everything, it was a no-go. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. And it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. The president had the right to do that. He was totally within his power. And his objective was seen clearly. Yeah, you know, first of all, it's it's kind of fascinating when you hear Biden from the 1980s, how different he sounds and how much you can tell. So all, all this point, about, oh, he hasn't lost a step and all that stuff. Look, we, we, we remember what Biden usually sounds like. He doesn't sound like that these days. Um, and then just generally his comment that he said in an interview Monday with, uh, ironically, WKRC in Cincinnati, not WKRP. Um, he said, you know, I've already spoken on, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of court packing, but I don't want to get off on that whole issue. I want to get, I want to keep focused. Well, I, I suppose we could take a certain amount of reassurance from this, but the fact that he's not, if he's not a fan and somebody asks, are you going to pack the court? He could say, no, I'm not. And he has not said that. He has not said that when he's been asked about it over and over and over again. He didn't say in the debate, Kamala Harris didn't say in the debate, so when somebody's not a fan, but they're not willing to rule it out, I don't think you should rule out the possibility that they will go down this road sometime. And I think, by the way, this doesn't speak very well of Biden, that if he thinks this is a bad idea, but he's effectively being pressured into it and he's, you know, basically feels he can't say that he thinks it's a bad idea because of the way the people in his party feel. 
you know, the, all the people out there who didn't vote for Bernie Sanders and who think the Democrats are too left, but they want to vote for Joe Biden because they're just so fed up with Donald Trump and they're so fed up with that. This is a giant flaw in this, that, that Joe Biden has already demonstrated on a whole bunch of issues that he's willing to change his mind. He's already demonstrated on a bunch of issues like a, what the, the relatively meager objections he had to abortion before. Poof, they went away as soon as he started running for president. Joe Biden can be pushed around. Joe Biden can be pushed into a more leftly, leftward direction that he that his instincts say he should go in. So, uh, you know, this, you know, first of all, the Trump administration should be jumping all over this. And two, I think it's an ominous indicator for if he elected, what kind of a president Joe Biden would be. You know, when you, you know, that, that whole court packing thing, Jim, is very interesting because what the other side and the Democrats of all, because remember Harry Reid, when he did nuclear option, everybody, even people inside of the Democratic Party said, I have a feeling we're going to regret this. Are, are we going to run into an instance where we're just going to see this thing go from nine to 190? I certainly hope not, but I think it is likely. Um, it, it's possible. Look, there are a handful of Senate Democrats who've said they are not fans of this. Uh, Kirsten Cinema, uh, Joe Manchin, and like one or two others have said they don't think it's a good idea. Now, look, Democrats win the Senate. You're going to see an enormous amount of pressure put on the quote unquote moderate Democratic senators. <laughs> There's not you, you don't want to be that last Democratic senator who stands between them and what they perceive to be a Supreme Court that will vote their way on every case. So I, I don't think you should, you know, put all of your eggs in the basket of Joe Manchin being the one who will stop this. And then the second thing is, you know, so let's say they expand it from nine to 11. I assume they would want it to be an odd number because you wouldn't want to have, you know, a five, five split or something like that. So, okay, well, then Republicans, next time they have control of the Senate and they have the presidency, they're going to say, all right, we want to have 13. And, you know, you know what, maybe we'll, let's let's do a little extra insurance. Let's add 15. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start having to hold your court uh, cases in MCI Center because there are just so many Supreme Court justices that have been confirmed through. I, 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 it's been fascinating to watch how many times people say, you know, if you change the rules because you have the power now, the next time the other side has that power, they're going to do the exact same thing. And nobody ever, okay, very rarely have Democratic leaders recognized this. And the interesting thing is that not that long ago, uh, Amy Klobuchar was saying that, you know, eliminating the filibuster for judicial nominees on lower courts was a bad idea. And that all of a sudden now she's not having that. That, that is one of those things where even when, you know, common sense starts to grip them, eventually the political pressure of their angry grasp roots ends up you know overwhelming that that sense of uh, objection so what you know again if this was really so unthinkable and democrats were not going to do this they would say so which means they are this is within the realm of possibility if democrats control the senate hey guys it's mock and daisy from the chicks on the right and we're excited to tell you about our podcast the mock and daisy common sense cast if you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore don't worry because we're here to clear things up every week we discuss topics like cancel culture national crisis what's happening to our new generations and if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life we tackle that too find out more by going to our website chicks on the right.com or start listening on the apple podcast app spotify or your favorite podcast app don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe we've had the good we've had the bad we've had the crazy and uh well you know what gallup says more people feel they're better off by a decent margin 50 56 percent than they were four years ago meaning 
they're better off now than they were with Trump being president. And Biden has a bizarre yet usual Biden-like response. Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. They think 54 percent of the American people are better off economically today than they were in our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly. And in addition to that, we have a president who doesn't share the values of most Americans. He's not very honest with people. He is flouting the the conventions re- relative to public safety in terms of even now not wearing a mask. <laughs> there, I, probably once a day, you know, I, I could run the headline, Joe Biden says something baffling. Uh, yesterday, he said he got in trouble. He couldn't remember. It seems, it seems like he couldn't remember Romney's name. So he referred to the senator, the, the guy who was Mormon, who used to be governor. And we eventually all figured out who he was talking to. But the great irony is, is that of all the gaffes Joe Biden has ever had, I don't remember him actually getting in trouble for discussing Romney's Mormonism back in the 2012 cycle. And in fact, I went back and checked. The only time I saw Biden had talked about him, he said, you shouldn't judge someone, uh, someone's qualification for office based on their religion. This is the one time Biden said what he was supposed to have said, and he remembers it as getting in trouble. It's kind of interesting. Um, but so on this one, he's you know basically saying that uh, the 56% of Americans who say they're, doing, they're better off now than they were four years ago shouldn't vote for him. Now, I'm good at math. And I can figure out if, you don't, if 56% of Americans don't vote for you, you're probably in trouble. You need some scenario like Bill Clinton with the opposition vote being split between Bush and Perot to win the presidency in circumstances like that. Um, the, but what's kind of really intriguing about that is that poll result is, is actually not good for the president, for President Trump. It means, you know, a, you know a, a decent majority of Americans think they are doing better off. And they're so angry with the president over his personality, over the things he says, over the things he does. Um, but even though, let's, I assume that that perception is fueled by three years of really solid economic growth, including wage growth for the lowest earners, that despite all that, they still can't say, give me four more years of this guy. I find him and his persona that repellent. So the way this is good news for Biden, but Biden is saying, hey, if you're voting for me for that, I don't want you. <laughs> He's saying so, no. So again, I, you know. I, again, the eternal headline, Biden says something baffling. Yeah, every day he says something baffling. Yesterday he said again, I think if I remember correct, it just all runs into one another nowadays with COVID and the election that, yeah, he's continuing to run for the Senate, which people are like, what? Whatever. I mean, I, at this point, I don't think we know. We'll find out on a daily basis uh, what he says. That's Jim Garrity, and I am Chad Benson. This has been your three martini lunch. I'm in for Greg Columbus. I'll be back next week. Follow me at Chad Benson Show on the old Twitter and Instagram. And Jim, where do they follow you at? Uh, on Twitter, it's at Jim Garrity. Um, I have an Instagram account by that same thing, but it's mostly like wildlife photography and pretty pictures. It's not, you know, political stuff. Uh, and of course, at National Review and in the corner in the Morning Jolt newsletter.